Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to this week's Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki, here as always with John Mitchell. We've got a good bit to talk about this week. In our opening segment, we'll be following up on last week week's discussion about the Oklahoma State protests spearheaded by Chuba Hubbard and uh, also other situations that are ongoing around the country as players start to recognize the power that they have with their voices. Um, In the second segment, we'll be taking a look ahead of our season previews at the coronavirus situation around the country, especially with more teams bringing their players back to campus and how that is actually playing out on the ground. And in our final segment, we're going to give you just a brief look ahead at our preview schedule that we have coming up because whether we uh, have a season coming up or not, we're going to at least assume that something's going to happen and take a look at at how the season might play out if it indeed does. Before we get started, how are things going, John? How are you doing this week? Drinking anything exciting? Uh, You know, nothing exciting. Sticking with the, the cheaper options at the moment as everything's still, you know, shut down, still on furlough and everything, but you know, Cheap beer uh, goes down pretty good still, so. Yeah, oh, it does the trick. I've been having plenty of that myself. I actually got a recipe from my dad's girlfriend uh, last time we visited them for Brandy Slush. Uh, And so last time I was at the liquor store, I bought a handle of cheap brandy. I think it's just E&J brandy or whatnot, and made this concoction that goes into the freezer, and you just add soda water or 7-Up, or I'm using Fresca right now, and uh, it's basically like orange juice and lemon juice and brandy together. It's pretty amazing, so. That does sound pretty good. Yeah, I you know, it certainly does the trick, so. Let's, uh, you know, now that we're sufficiently fueled, let's talk some football, because, or at least, you know, let's talk about some football teams. First of all, you know, we've seen some things play out since we last talked about Oklahoma State and the situation with Chuba Hubbard and Mike Gundy uh, that, you know, began with the OAN t-shirt that he was wearing, but, you know, was certainly, you know, that was the last straw that that broke everything. Um, you know, since then, we've seen a couple of recordings come out. We talked about the first one with Gundy and Hubbard. Um, we also, you know, right after we talked on the podcast, you know, Hubbard tweeted out, quote, no, don't get it twisted. Foot's still on the gas. Results are coming. It's not over, end quote. So, you know, a bit cryptic, first of all. It seems like on one hand, he's still participating with the team. You know, Gundy released another video on June 16th talking about how meeting with the team allowed them to finally express how they felt about OAN and how they felt about a network that basically called things that a lot of these players are fighting for a complete hoax. Um, So, you know... It seems as of now, things are diffused. 
and you know Hubbard saying that it's a step in the right direction, but you know I I really have to wonder is this the change that he was looking for was even just being able to be heard in the locker room and if that's changed. What does that say about the dynamic that was already in place in Stillwater? Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever really know the full answer to that question because we don't know the full answer to what was actually going on behind closed doors anyway. So the changes that Hubbard's most likely looking for in, in this instance are things that were going on that no one else saw. So likely... To me, if those changes are made, there'll be things that we don't ever see. I, you know, I appreciate that Gundy did finally apologize. He actually finally did say the words, I'm sorry, and that he had made a mistake. So whether or not, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too negative about it, but whether or not he's, you know, genuinely sorry, or if he just got pressure from the university uh, or maybe good advice from his publicist or whatever, I don't know. I could never know for sure. Uh, we both obviously have our doubts about, you know, how genuine he is when it comes to things like that. So at least we did see that. So I would say that's a step in the right direction. Hopefully everything else works out, you know, not for Gundy, for instance, but for the players, for Hubbard and all those guys who, you know, we talked about. They, they've got a very bright future if there is a season this year that could be a really – quality football team and I you know it's in their interests and in Gundy's interest to work things out because they've got a chance to be really really competitive in 2020 uh but you know like you said this was I don't know if this was just a, a stepping stone but we're seeing more and more of this where we're seeing players really take the power into their own hands and they're starting to realize how much power they wield right they're starting to really understand that and I think that is I think that's only good for for college athletes going forward. I think it's only going to reap further and further benefits. Yeah, I you know I think first and foremost it's great to see Hubbard continuing to speak out. And if you look at his Twitter feed, he's definitely expressing his voice. And you know I I think the important thing to recognize here is he had nothing to apologize about about taking this public and going to Twitter about it. I you know when you're in a power dynamic where the coach has inordinate power over what players are even able to say. You know they determine which players go out to the post game press conference. They determine. You know, all sorts of things of that nature, how much exposure you have. As we've seen in certain instances, how frequently players can tweet. So, uh, you know, I, I think players need to use that voice as much as they have it. And, you know, we've seen Mar- Marvin Wilson did it at Florida State. He called out Jay Norvell, or, God, he called out Mike Norvell. At, at Florida State on Twitter, and you know it seems like that led to some some positive changes there that might not have happened just going behind the scenes. It might have been easier to brush off if you don't have public sentiment behind it. You know we've seen Kellen Mond come out looking for them to remove the statue of former University President Lawrence Sullivan Ross, who was a Confederate general before. He was at Texas A&M as the president there. 
we've seen Texas players in Austin calling for, you know, changes of campus building names, changing the school song. Um, you know, Clemson's players came out and they basically compelled Dabo, you know, they compelled Dabo Sweeney to, to participate in their, their peaceful protest. But the one that gets me, and it seems like Mondays have become our new news cycle for running back speaking out, because, you know, this past Monday, June 22nd, we had Kylan Hill speaking out, the Mississippi State running back who's, you know, he's first and foremost, he's going to into his first year under Mike Leach, who's had his own issues around, you know, race and you know what he decides to put out into the public sphere but you know he came out on monday and and said he won't play for the bulldogs again unless and until the confederate stars and bars are removed from the state flag you know he said quote either change the flag or i won't be representing this state anymore 100 and i meant that i'm tired end quote what did you think about hill coming out like this I love to see it. I mean, that that flag is an embarrassment to to the country, to the state of Mississippi. It's a slap in the face to all the residents of that state, particularly the the um, the black people who live in the state of Mississippi. And you, you can't blame Kylan Hill for for taking that stance. And actually, you know, that's the kind of thing that gets people to pay attention. And I think that's part of what you know I was saying with players taking power into their own hands is. You know, you and I and other people can complain and we can say, we can tweet out, we can record podcasts where we talk about change. But, you know, our voices don't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. When you're talking about a guy like Kylan Hill, who is arguably Mississippi State's best football player. I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the SEC. He had a, he's had a great career so far. He's going to be a major part, even in a changing offense where you know, Leach doesn't feature the running back as much as he was probably featured in the past under other head coaches in Starkville. But, you know, that's the kind of voice that can produce change because, you know, if Mississippi State doesn't have Kylan Hill, whatever you think about the Bulldogs in 2020 and how their transition under Leach and the new offense is going to go, they're 100% a worse football team if Kylan Hill's not suiting up for the next season. So, I love the fact that, that him and that, and that, you know, there's this whole revolution that feels like it's starting and it's a shifting landscape in all of college athletics right now where players are really starting to realize how much, you know, power they wield, how big their voices can be. And, uh, I mean, this is a big one. I, I'd be very interested to follow the story going forward. We're still in the very early stages of it. There hasn't, I haven't seen anything come from, the university or anything like that yet it's possible that happens before um this podcast is actually published but you know for right now it'll be very very early stages i'm very interested to see kind of how the story unfolds and very um impressed with kylan hill to take a stance like that yeah i i, I thought the exact same thing really it comes down to the fact that players have a finite you know, they have a finite time in college, yes, but it's those players that have the most to gain from an NFL contract, guys like Kylan Hill, guys like Chuba Hubbard speaking out, that 
that really opens eyes. Because the thing is, is they can miss an entire season of college football. And for a running back, that just means you have less wear and tear on your, your, your legs going into the NFL. Most NFL teams, if they've seen these guys on film, they know what they're getting well enough at this point that, you know, they have real power, but, you know, they don't, so they don't have much to lose, but they have everything to gain. You know, they, they can lose their, their position at the university, but they're telling the university we're not taking it. So, you know, ultimately it is the team that gets hurt and it you know, if you're going to hit for change where it hurts most, you're absolutely right. It's somebody whose labor can't be easily replaced. And, you know, let's just let's just own it. That's exactly what these guys are. They're labor for the university. And they are highly talented, hi- highly skilled, and not easily replaceable talent. Because you can't just, you know... You and I can withhold our labor on this podcast, and there, you know, you've got dozens of other college football podcasts you can go listen to. I'm well aware of it. You all are. I've listened to some of the other ones. Don't get me... I I couldn't possibly listen to all of them. There's not enough hours in the week, you know, for each new bit of material that's coming out. I write. If I decide to withhold my labor writing... There's, you know, there's 8 million other yahoos writing about college football that you can go read their thoughts on it if you really want. That, that's what you do on Twitter every Saturday as you're sitting there thumbing through watching games. You know, even the, the best, you know, like you think of somebody like, I mean, hell, Keith Jackson doesn't last forever. Vern Lundquist doesn't last forever. You know, there's always a next man up, but it's a lot easier to replace a voice like that because you can go out into the open market and hire them in a way you can't with a college athlete. So Mississippi State can't just go recruit another running back or suddenly find one on the transfer portal that's going to match what Hill brings to the table. That's a real power right there. And, uh, you know, I think we're also seeing athletes do very similar things, you know, not just in terms of justice in, in, in racial issues. We're also seeing them look out for themselves in a way we haven't before. Because, you know, the last thing I want to discuss before we go to break, and it's kind of a good seg between the two topics, we're, you know, the two big topics we're addressing today. But UCLA's players came out you know, with a big response on COVID-19. They called for third-party health officials to be present for all team activities to ensure that protocols are followed. You know, they know that the university has an incentive to monkey with it and, you know, shortchange some of these things. And as we'll talk about more in the next segment, it's had real impacts at some universities in terms of how it's been addressed. But, you know, they've also threatened to refrain from booster events, recruiting events, and all football-related promotional activities if their demands aren't met. And I think that also is really big, because that's showing collective action. You know, a guy like Hubbard, a guy like Hill can come out and individually make a huge impact like that, but... 
a team coming out in solidarity, like, for instance, we saw at Texas, or, you know, the Clemson, you know, the Clemson roster recently, but this UCLA one is one where you're presenting real demands that are, you know, you're looking out for yourself in a way and saying the university won't look out for us, so we need to negotiate this. This is collective bargaining right here, and I think it's radical, and... You know, five years ago, that would look absolutely crazy when we, you know, we were in the aftermath of Kane Coulter and Northwestern filing with the National Labor Relations Board for the right to, you know, have a signing for whether or not to file for a union status. So, you know, I thought that was probably quite possibly the most radical of them all in terms of what it could mean long term. You know, I agree. I love that you compare it to collective bargaining because that's exactly what it sounded like when I was reading about the UCLA situation. So, yeah, I mean, players are more powerful now than they ever have been because the sport is so popular right now, you know, with with television and all that. And, you know, when you see a college football game now, if you miss something, two seconds later, if it was a spectacular play, it's on Twitter. You know, you could pretty much watch entire college football games right now by just scrolling through Twitter feeds. Um, you know, it's not the point or anything, but I think the rise of social media, too, has elevated these players' ability to speak out and their, you know, notability of, of who they are. Because it's not just your university, you know these players, people know these players because... You know, the sport's more national now than I think it probably ever has been because of the rise of social media and stuff. So I think players are starting to take advantage of that. Um, And, I mean, you absolutely love to see it. I absolutely can't wait to see how much further this goes because I think we're just now beginning to scratch the surface of what we're going to see over the next few years. You're, You're absolutely right. And I think once we move into, you know, what comes next, because... With the situation we have coming into this season, players are recognizing more than ever that the university needs them. You know, football especially is the revenue driver for the entire athletic department. That's the whole reason they're trying to get players back come hell or high water. It's the whole reason that we're going to be talking about our entire next segment about the coronavirus pandemic and this return to campus. So, you know... I, I, I won't go too much deeper into that because I think these kind of tie back and forth. But we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to address the pandemic more, what's actually happening on the ground, and how this might impact the 2020 season. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everybody. We're here talking about college football, obviously. In our last segment, we were talking about you know, the power that players recently have and, you know, the voices that they're getting as activists in the public sphere, whether it's in terms of racial justice or merely in terms of their own health in the midst of a pandemic. And that's, you know, really the focus of our second segment here today, because, you know, we're looking at a season starting in about two months two, two and a half months and not even. And so for most, you know, for most schools, we're going to see football starting soon enough. And we're seeing teams start to return to campus as well. 
And on the ground, some of these results are really quite scary. Um, you know, I think the most obvious ones that jump out to you are the two teams that were in the college football playoff championship game last January. LSU has reported 30 players and staff infected with the coronavirus, you know, reported positive for COVID-19. Clemson has 23 players and staff right now who are 23 players, 28 total players and staff that have reported positive. Um, the LSU situation is either positive or they're quarantining because they have, you know, reasonable suspicion from coming into contact with somebody who, who tested positive. Texas has 13 players. Kansas State has reported 14 players and shut down practices completely. Houston shut down all their practices. You know, this isn't just a, a, a re, you know, one region or another thing. It, it, we're seeing that places that are opening up too early are starting to see infected players. So, what, what, what are your first thoughts when, for instance, you saw LSU's numbers or Clemson's numbers, John? My thought in the last few days, even, Zach, has been that I think the college football season's in serious jeopardy at this point, which is a, a complete 180 from what I've been feeling the last few weeks because we've been really optimistic about everything because things had felt like they were moving in the direction of us having a relatively normal 2020 season. There's no way it's going to be, I think, completely normal. And I, I still think there's too much money on the line for the season to be outright canceled. There's going to be a season in some form, I really do believe, come the fall. But, I mean, these numbers are really eye-opening. And like you said, you've got places that have lessened restrictions, and you've got people who are just outright ignoring restrictions. So social distancing is – I live in the Gulf, in, in the state of Alabama, in the Gulf, and it's a vacation hotbed this time of year. Tourists have flocked in. And I can tell you just from experience, just going to the store earlier today, other than the employees that were at the grocery store, myself and maybe like five other people wearing masks in there. And everybody else was just walking around like everything was normal and there was nothing going on. And that's the problem. And that's why you're seeing these infected players because they're coming back. And the thing is, those players are coming back from different states. You know, it's not like you can only recruit players from your own state. So when everything shut down, these players left the state they were in for college and went back to their home states. So all of this is just being traveled, mixed around, and it's bad. I mean, God only knows these numbers are only going to get worse. And, you know, I personally living in Alabama, we're reaching peak heights of coronavirus positive tests right now because no one's taking the damn thing seriously. And this is how you lose the college football season right here. And we are in, you know, to put it in football terms, we're in the fourth quarter. We're down by a couple of touchdowns. And we're trying to fight like hell to try to get there. And you've got people who are just giving up and saying, you know, it's fine. It's over. And, you know, this doesn't go away just because you want it to. Like, everyone out there wants the coronavirus to be over, right? Like, no one wants this pandemic to be going on. But it's still, you know, it's still happening. It's still very dangerous. And it, it honestly, like it pisses me off. Yeah. To, to see this kind of stuff every single day and to see people not taking it seriously, to see people making 
wearing a mask be a political issue when it's not a political issue it's a human issue you know like i i can't understand it from the from the tra- from the fact that what does it hurt to wear a mask when you go out in public anyway i know i'm getting off onto a bit of a soapbox but you know even if you don't feel like it's necessary what does it hurt to put it on just to protect other people or at least to let other people make it look like you're trying to help them, you know? Like, it's not that big of an inconvenience. They're not asking you to pay $100 a day or something like that. They're asking you to put a piece of cloth over your freaking face when you go out in public. It's not that complicated of a process, and yet people can't seem to grasp it. So that's where my head went immediately when I started seeing these tests pop up. I got really angry. Um, thinking about just the selfishness of of the people right now in this country who are just really ignoring what all the experts are saying as it pertains to how to beat this. And we've seen other countries, you know, really knock out social distancing and really flatten the curve already. And I, I forget what country it is, but I saw a beautiful video of a soccer match, maybe it was Norway or something like that, where they had full stands because they had knocked out the coronavirus. They hadn't had a positive test in three weeks or something like that. And they had full stands for a soccer match. People were going crazy. And it was beautiful. It honestly made me a little bit emotional to see it because it's been so long since we've seen that kind of normalcy in the United States. And it's something that I really, really long for. And I think it's something that's going to take a lot longer here than it ever should have had to take. Well, yeah, you know, the thing that's really, it, but that kind of makes it visceral for me is if you subtract the battle at Bristol out of the equation, more people have died in the United States than have ever sat for a single college football game. You know, it more people have died than the biggest crowd that has ever attended a game at the big house or Beaver Stadium, or Bryant-Denny, or, you know, all of these cathedrals of the game. You know, the Rose Bowl back in the day when it would hold more than 100,000. We haven't seen any of, you know, we have 123,000 dead right now in climbing. Before the the college football season hits, that number's going to shoot past that record for the Battle of Bristol that was 156,000. On, on the trajectory we're on now, we're going to see that sooner rather than later. We're seeing entire football stadiums of people die. And it's still not being taken seriously. And and you're absolutely right. Like, in, in some ways it feels shallow thinking about it from the stance of what is this going to do to the college football season But in another way, what we talked about in the last segment is just like college football players have a voice that they can speak up and affect real change, you know, because they can withhold their their labor power, we also see that, you know, the the virus doesn't care about your feelings about football. It's already started to impact the season, you know. It just take the Notre Dame Navy game. That was supposed to be played in Dublin this year. And now it's being played in Annapolis on Navy's home field. 
you know, we've seen four games already canceled among HBCU teams. You know, these historically black colleges and universities are, are losing their chance. And you have big schools as well. Southern University is losing two games. Tennessee State is losing two games. Jackson State is sacrificing a couple of games. The Southern Heritage Classic in Memphis is being canceled. Um, you know, we're still uncertain whether we're going to see full schedules played in 2020. And, you know, we can talk about it as much as we want and act like things are normal, but the numbers don't lie. You know, the scoreboard never lies. The scoreboard at the end of any game always tells us who wins and loses. We can look at all of the stats, the stat, you know, maybe a yard gets fudged here or there. And honestly, you know, death tolls and, you know, the total number of infected it's never going to be absolute or perfect because you, you know, you mentioned it becomes a political thing as to who gets counted as somebody who died from this as a mitigating factor. It, it depends on how many people um, within the population can get tested as a percentage of that population to even know who has it. And that becomes political and you know, in the same way that the fact that college football teams can even get these tests right now, you know, you think about these, you know, the LSU or Clemson players where they find out several dozen players are infected. If, if these players are in the general student body at LSU or Clemson, in many cases, wherever they have to go home to, they don't have access to a test like this. They couldn't go get that if they wanted to. They would have to be showing symptoms before they'd be tested for it. And, you know, on one hand, it's good that players at least get that. And that, like UCLA lobbied for, you know, they're putting in oversight to make sure that this isn't just handled and that coaches aren't abusing the access to having these players back. But the season still is going to be impacted and ultimately the scoreboard doesn't lie. We have full stadiums worth of, uh, of individuals who have died because of this. Whether you want to argue the semantics of those numbers exactly, I, hit me up on Twitter because you're not going to get me now. <laughs> Just acknowledge that even if those numbers are off by 10%, we still have more people dead than have attended a game at the big house or some of our biggest cathedrals of college football. And so, you know, the fact that we're seeing more players test positive, you know, we're seeing this with other leagues as well. We just heard that the Orlando Pride of the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, aren't participating in the tournament that's taking place in Utah now because a bunch of their players became infected. And it's likely because restrictions have been eased at nightclubs in Florida, and they went out to a nightclub. And you'd have to be you'd have to be messed up in the head to think that college football players and other college athletes aren't going to be doing the exact same thing as 20-something professionals on a team going out to the bars, going out to the nightclubs, 
interacting with each other at frat parties and all sorts of other keggers and off-campus events and whatever else. That's college. So you're you you know you're you're basically creating cruise ships in the you know in pockets of incubation all across the country bringing back people and you know if this this spreading where 23 players out of a roster of 115 you know when you throw in walk-ons and everything else that's one fifth of your football team that has this you know if those numbers continue to to cycle through that has a huge impact and we don't know long term what this does you know maybe every one of these players has the mildest possible symptoms that could be there it could still have long term impacts in terms of your respiratory health and everything else we're hearing all sorts of reports about this virus that we're learning new things every day and so it can't be discounted what it could do but I think in that way as well, we still have got to steal our nerves, like you said, for the fact that we very well might not see football as we expected in 2020. Money speaks, and we're going to see something. I think you're right about that. But if we, you know, we might talk about the season and anticipate it and preview it in a way that makes it feel like it's going to happen that way. But I think we need to do all of that with a caveat as well. We need to really acknowledge that new information is coming in every day. And what we think is safe right now might very well not be safe by the time August rolls around. Well, you know, a big fear, too, is what happens when these positive tests begin happening while the season's going on. You know, what happens then? What happens when, you know, the night or two or three days before Ohio State travels to Eugene to play Oregon, that Justin Fields and five other Buckeyes have tested positive for the coronavirus or something like that, you know? And it's you get to the point, too, where you start to wonder if it's even morally responsible to play sports, and to particularly when you're talking about unpaid athletes like college athletes are, and putting them out there, exposing them to all this risk. Because there's no social distancing you can do in a football game. Football is the anti-social distancing sport. You're meant to collide together and, you know, run into the people who are carrying the football and run into the people next to you and stuff like that. So there's no social distancing that can be had on the sideline in the locker room or anything like that. As, as immaculate as some of these places that have been built for these college football players, these locker rooms and stuff that you see all the time, they're still not big enough to keep people six feet apart um, in them, and there's no way to do that. So, you know, I think you start to have to wonder, too, about the moral dilemma that faces putting these athletes at this high of a risk, um, you know, especially when they're not getting paid for their labor. Um, and, you know, I don't – we love college football. We both want to see college football, but I don't want – I don't want to have to watch college game day week nine or 10 this year and see Tom Rinaldi come on with a story talking about a player or several players who died because of COVID-19 and because they tried to play football when maybe they shouldn't have had, they shouldn't have done it. I don't want to see a 
an Oscars in memoriam scroll like thing for college football this season or college basketball or anything like that, where you've got these kids who, you know, die or, or get sick or anything like that because we've tried to force football because of, you know, the money that's at stake. And it is a lot of money. And that's obviously a a legitimate concern because of the amount of people who make their living off of the sport and athletic departments and all that, that wouldn't, would be crippled for the loss of revenue that college football presents. But, you know, it's, it's a big concern and, it sucks. It's the easiest way to put it because it's been, I felt like we had been kind of optimistic the last few weeks and I feel like all that optimism in, in one week for me, has just been zapped away. Oh, and I completely understand that. I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. And I think a lot of that comes down to false hopes and seeing, you know, I, I, I think as much as you and I can, you know, sort of get upset about seeing people not wearing masks in our day-to-day reality if we go out to the store or whatnot. I, I you know, I, I, I have that argument and, and I glare at people that aren't wearing them and it, it annoys the hell out of me. I'll call somebody out if, if, if I see it and it's that, you know, blatant. It, 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 it's not fun. It, it's annoying as hell. I don't like wearing a mask, believe me. It's not the most fun thing in the world, but you do it, and you move on with your life. But, you know, I think at the same time, we see it, you know, we can get annoyed with people getting complacent in their daily lives there, but I think at the same time, we see these universities saying, well, we're doing all these things, we're going to do this and that, and... You know, we get complacent with, okay, they're doing it, you know, they're doing things the right way so we can start to bring back these players. But we get complacent by what the university feeds us and we don't even ask, is that the right way? You know, is this really something we should even be doing in the first place? You're absolutely right. You're hard-pressed to find people that love college football more than you and me. You know, there are people who love it as much as us, certainly. But you'd be hard-pressed to find people who love the sport as a whole more than us, I think. You know, hell, we've been talking about this for a dozen years now together in one form or another, whether it's just the two of us yammering online or it's, you know, talking in this format or in previous columns we've had together and... We're knowledgeable and passionate. We love the damn sport. It, it, believe me, if I could watch college football tomorrow, and as we've ta- said, if I could, you know, fire up my PS4 and play a brand new version of NCAA football there, I'd be doing it right now. Um, I'd probably be buying a new television so that I can play it on a bigger one because my biggest one just fried out recently. So, you know, it's not something I feel the need to replace necessarily if there is no football, though. And that's an interesting thing to think about as well. Um, but in the end, we want this to come back. Believe me, you don't want us yammering week after week and continuing to do this about nothing, you know, and having to find news where news gets created by principles within the sport. But that's that's what we have to go on now. And honestly, if I have to do that for a year... 
to save gener- a, a generation of athletes or a cohort of athletes, sign me up. I'm more for that than sacrificing a kid's life. That said, we know that schools are going to do something or another. So, you know, we mentioned we're going to be doing preview soon. We'll talk to you about that more in a bit and give you all the caveats around that. But let's take one last quick break before we go into that. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back for our last segment of the Saturday Blitz podcast this week, everybody. We've been talking about player activism uh, in the online realm as well as you know advocating for themselves collectively as teams we've been talking about the coronavirus pandemic and how more covid-19 positives among football teams might be putting the season that we've been recently optimistic about in jeopardy but at the same time you know we're college football writers, we're college football prognosticators, whatever the hell you want to call us, podcasters, writers, whatever. Um, but, you know, we, we love the sport, we talk about the sport, we're anticipating some kind of football for the upcoming season. As we talked about in our last segment, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty about what's going to transpire this year. Um you know, and how each team's schedule will actually look once fall rolls around. But, you know, John, I think the the thing that we have to do is operate under the premise that the season is happening according to the original schedule. You know, I that's the approach I'm going to be taking when I look at these teams going into the preview. And I don't know if you have a different approach that you're thinking of with it, but, you know, I think it's hard... When you're working in uncertainties, work with the what you do know is certain, and then we can backcast from there as things happen. So, yeah, I don't think there's any other way to do it than to just go, you know, feet first into assuming that everything's going to act as normal until we get word otherwise, right? So, you know, we're going to approach the previews as we have in every single year and just assume that everything's going to be normal, and then if that changes at some point. We'll make changes on the fly. We're good at flying by the seat of our pants. We've been doing it for the past couple months, and you're still around listening, everybody. So, you know, thanks for that. Um, But, you know, we also want to fill you in on how we're looking at previews. If you were with us last season listening to the podcast, um, you have some idea of how we're going to go about these previews. But starting next week, we have seven, you know, basic previews we're looking at, and then an awards preview that we're looking at at the end. So next week, we're going to be looking at small schools. We're doing the FCS, projecting who might have a chance to knock off North Dakota State. We're going to look at Ivy League races, since they're a thing apart from the FCS, even though they're technically FCS schools. And then, you know, another thing that's in a way a thing apart are historically black colleges and universities, the MEAC and the SWAC, you know, Southwestern Athletic Conference, Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, these two historically black conferences that play each other every year in the Celebration Bowl for what's effectively the black national championship. So we're going to look at those three races um, next week for our July 1st episode 
July 8th, we've got our group of five previews. We'll look at the group of five race, who are going to be the top teams in that race, and then give you quick breakdowns of each of those group of five conferences. And then, you know, we get into the Power Five. So July 15th is the Pac-12, July 22nd is the Big 12. July 29th, we're going into the Big 10. And then once you get into... August, it's, you know, it's the conferences that have been winning the college football playoff most recently. We've got the ACC on August 5th, and then the League of the Defending Champ, the SEC, on August 12th. And then in that last week, August 19th, we'll be diving into the Heisman race and all of the other individual player awards, uh, who, you know, has a good shot at winning all of those. So, you know, stick around with us this summer. We'll obviously, you know, we'll also have segments here and there where we're updating on what the situation looks like as we go into these previews because, as, you know, John mentioned, this is something that's going to be happening on the fly. This is a season unlike anything any of us have ever lived with before because if you're telling me you were a college football fan in 1918, I'm going to tell you, you still weren't following it in the digital age. You know, you were following your one team at that point and wondering how they were doing. And then maybe, you know, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton in the newspaper. So, this is a completely unprecedented thing. There's a reason it's called the novel coronavirus for a reason. This is a novel situation. But on that note, you know, before we let people go for the week and prepare themselves for our preview schedule. John, is there any last words you want to throw out to the, the crowd? Uh, wear a mask, social distance, and let's hope we have college football in a few months. Yeah, let's hope we have something. You know, I think I, I, I think we're both thinking pragmatically enough that we're preparing ourselves right now for it not to look 100% like we'd love it to. But let's keep our fingers crossed for something. And that depends on all of us. So, you know, whatever team you root for, we're all on team football. We're all on team stay the hell alive. And so look out for your teammates. Don't 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 be the dickhead glory hog on your team that's just looking out for yourself. Don't be that guy. Nobody likes that guy on the team. And they certainly don't do the team any good. So, stay safe. We'll be back with you again next Wednesday with our look at the FCS and its attendant Ivy League and HBCU races. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week.